Um, continuing on in our series, Church, Why Bother? Actually, can I just say, I, the, just still the idea of that story that Neville shared with us, I think it really is quite an important, quite an important one for us, for some of us in the room, if not all of us, because I, I know for me, honestly, like I think of that wee boy that, uh, that came and presented this, this little amount, this little amount to, uh, to address the needs of such a large amount of people. Like, I know me. Like, I know me well enough to know that I would be that self-conscious. I just wouldn't be bringing it. I think I would be that proud that I just wouldn't be bringing it. Isn't that right, Katie? And um, I'd be so conscious. I'd be so conscious of how meager it is. I feel like I'd be so conscious of those that are looking around me thinking, like, what is he, what's the point in even offering that? And I do think that there is times that f- those of us, there's for some of us in the room, we think we do, we think like that. We think that what we have to offer is seem- seemingly so meager that we, that, we don't, that we don't do it. We're so much more conscious of the little that we have to offer than we are of the one who can multiply absolutely anything. And I, and I think it's really important that we hear, that we hear the Father's commitment again this morning, how... how, how uh, he is so committed to partnership. We need to hear it again, how committed he is to partnering with us. See, this, we, we, we don't know what would have happened in that moment. We don't know what would have happened with those thousands and thousands of people who were sitting there hungry. Part of, me, part of me thinks because of how committed the Father is to partnering, he was waiting for someone to, to offer something. He was so committed to partnership that he was waiting for someone to offer however little it was. He was waiting for somebody to do something. And my fear sometimes is, is that we, we hold back. As I've, as I've written down the story of, of drop-in over the last number of months, there's been times that I've become aware of, of, there was times where it was really felt like it was quite meager. We were offering very little, but you get, you get to become confident in the one who multiplies the very little. There's an increase in, in confidence, and there's times that 25 years is, is a significant amount of time for hindsight to be a wonderful thing. And so now, 25 years on, you can look back and say, oh God, what would we have missed? What would we have missed if we hadn't have offered the little that was in our hand? How much would people have missed out in the revelation, Jesus, of who you really are? If we'd have stayed closed-handed, if we'd have stayed not offering what is in our hands, what is in our hearts. The people, because of our withholding, people could potentially miss a revelation of who Jesus really is. And I hope I'm not saying that in such a way that would cause you to feel, that would cause you to offer what is in your hand out of shame or out of duty. But know how how much how much Father is committed to partnering with you and seeing His kingdom come, and seeing people were in your family in your community having a revelation of the goodness and the 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 power and the the joy of who Jesus really is. I think it is an important. Uh, story for us this morning. But I want to continue on. We're going to continue asking this question around church. Why bother? And for every, I think every time I've been here, I've started out with saying the, who we are, the ecclesia. That's the name, that, that's the word that Paul used over and over. It's the word that Jesus used the, the, the first time the church is mentioned, the ecclesia. The ecclesia were the people that actually gathered at the, at the, at the public gate. They gathered at that place 
in the public square. They were a people that were called out for the welfare of the community. That's, that's who the church is. A people called out for the welfare of the community. The welfare of the place that, that they find themselves in. And there's verses that we've used. We've used Ephesians chapter 3 to say that the, the ecclesia is, uh, through the manifold, the manifold wisdom of God, is going to be demonstrated through the church, through the ecclesia, through the called out people of God, uh, pursuing the welfare, pursuing the, the well-being, pursuing the wholeness, the shalom of our towns and our cities. Sturdy spoke last week, the week before that, um, we looked a wee bit at uh, holiness. We talked, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, I just want to read these couple of verses again as we, as we think about where we're going to go this morning. I suppose the, the idea this morning, we've looked at grace and love, we've looked at the table We've talked about holiness, and I suppose today, if I want to put some sort of word over what I want to talk about, it would be newness, newness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Let me go back actually to verse 20 so this makes a bit more sense. You, whoever, did not come to know Christ that way. I'm going to have to go further back. <laughs> so I tell you this, go to verse 17. Let's just read the whole section here. Insist, uh, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of our thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. You have heard of him and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put it off, put off your old self because it's being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be, you've been made new, to put on newness, made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Made new, put on the new self. And actually Paul says this line that, that, uh, that I find myself over and over this week reading over to say, like, did Paul really mean that? When he said, you have been made new, you have to put on the new self, which is created to be like God. Created to be like God. The message version of, of these two verses says that we would take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Can I read that again? Taking on, you take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. And that's a wee bit of what newness is like. Created to be like God, God, God reproducing his character 
in you. And there's so many, there's so many different ways we could go here. Like we could, and when we talk about newness, we could talk about new guidance. We now people that are spirit led. There's a new, there's a new guidance. Caleb, Caleb, give me that my phone there, will you? And then go on, whatever you're doing. Sorry. Good boy. Thank you. I'm not checking my messages. There's just something I want to read on it in a bit. Um, a new guidance. We could go down that line. Talk about what it is now that now that now the spirit dwells within us. There's a new way that we're led. There's a new way. Acts chapter 13 gives us a wee bit of an insight. Acts chapter 15 gives us a wee bit of an insight. That the, that the Holy Spirit, it, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The Holy Spirit sent Barnabas and Saul to Antioch. It's a new way of being led. We talk about a new politics, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm too afraid. <laughs> new politics, but we could go to the Sermon on the Mount. We could go to the politics of Jesus, which are found in, in that sermon. Everything's new. This is what you were taught. This is what you heard, but now I've come to tell you a new way. I've come to bring newness to all that you'd previously heard. It's like a new politic. There could be new guidance. But I want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about a new freedom. And I want to read a couple of verses from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, reading, let me read the first six verses of, uh, of this chapter. I love this letter. And I think, I did, I think we, we were here, um, we were touching, we were in and out of this letter a number of weeks back. And I think I encouraged you then um, to, to read the letter. It'd take you 15 or 20 minutes to read this, this letter that Paul writes to the churches in Galatia. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't do it then, that you would uh, give it another go today. It is for freedom. Verse 1 in chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And the reason why we touched on this a few weeks ago was because the, some of the language Paul uses in this letter in particular is really strong language because he cannot believe that he's came and presented grace and, and, and truth and freedom to these, to, these, uh, to these people. These people who were once far from God, but, they've, but, but they've been, if they've encountered grace and they don't have to go through all the hurdles, they don't have to jump through all of these hurdles to make their way to Jesus. Paul is saying you don't have to do that anymore. Circumcision, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to, you don't have to go through all these requirements to get to, to me. And Paul's so aggrieved because people have come in behind him and they have preached the opposite message. They've came in and they said, yeah, unless you behave like this, unless you take on the customs of, of our people, unless you take on the traditions that we have inherited, then you cannot be part of us. 
And the pain that Paul felt, I, I think he's justified in some of the strong language that he uses. And he's reminding them as, he be, as, he, as he's closing out this letter, he's saying, guys, you, you were, you were, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. The whole reason he went to the cross is that you would no longer be burdened by, the, by being enslaved to tradition and rules and, and the hurdles to jump over to get to me. The whole reason I went to the cross was that you would know freedom. It was for freedom that I set you free. And so whenever we talked about holiness a couple of weeks ago, this is a wee bit of what, what Paul, I think, is, is speaking to here. He's saying that you're, you're being taught, you're being deceived into thinking that you can be justified by the law. You can be justified because of the things that you don't do. We talked about that where, where holiness was concerned. Holy, sometimes our understanding of holiness is what we're separated from rather than a devoted to. But we, we shared about how holiness sometimes is perceived that um, it's people who focus on mostly on the don'ts. Focus mostly on what we're against rather than what we're for. Focus more on who we have excluded than who we have embraced. But I think when we, we focus mostly on the don'ts, that destroys freedom. It destroys the freedom that, that Christ came to set, uh, to, to set us free. He came to set us free and we sometimes enslave ourselves with, with traditions and rules and, and, uh, and man-made customs. If we don't do certain things, then we can get to Jesus. If we don't do certain things, then we can be, become more like him. We can become more holy. I want to suggest today that that is uh, a distraction to freedom. I think it actually destroys, can destroy freedom. It is important to, to say that we, there is things that we have been freed from. We've been freed from sin and death. Been freed from the power of sin and death. Been freed from the, because of what Jesus has done, the consequences of sin and death. I was talking to Mark and during the week, and, and, uh, and just this idea that we're actually freed from social boundaries. In the conversation, we, 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 talk, we were talking about Ephesians chapter 2. Um, again, thinking of what Jesus did on the cross. He himself is our peace. Verse 13 of chapter 2. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. I love that. I love that that's what Jesus was about. About, about destroying the, the barriers that, were, that had been built up. And what sometimes frustrates me and actually sometimes uh, grieves me is the fact that the very walls, the very walls that Jesus destroyed, somehow the church has began to build those up again. There's times where it feels like the church has began to build those up again, where Jesus came to destroy, being freed from all of those social boundaries, freed from all of those things that would have divided us. And Jesus has came to, to, to destroy them 
The dividing wall of hostility has been destroyed. He's abolished in his flesh the law with all of its commandments and regulations. We have been set free. Freedom from sin and death. Freedom from social boundaries. And at times we are guilty. Maybe just, I think the church has been guilty of it. And maybe you make this personal. Maybe you can be, you can be really challenged by this this morning as well. There's times you've been guilty of raising the very walls that Jesus destroyed. Freedom from those things, but freedom, more excitingly for me, freedom to, freedom to the, what it is to be the new people of God. Freedom to a new love for all. And this is why I wanted to, this is why I wanted my phone because I was uh, reading, um, I was reading the book this, this week and in the middle of it, a guy was talking about Luke chapter 10. And whenever he was just, was meditating on, uh, meditating on what Jesus, the question that Jesus asked, who is my neighbor? As he reflected on that question, this is what he wrote. My neighbor is someone hurting, who needs help, who cannot help themselves, who appears on my path, who has been robbed, who is half dead, who is naked, who is unable to ask for help, who is of a different race, who is a stranger, who has been stripped, who is a foreign traveler, who has been beaten up, who might require me to take a risk, who can't walk, who looks horrible, who is from a different religion, who is destitute, who is a victim of injustice, who has been passed by, who can't say thank you, who has been wounded, whom nobody wants to help, who is lonely, who will cost me some time, who is visible, who is a victim, who has been violated, who is vulnerable, who is a human being, who feels humiliated, who feels helpless, who is poor, who is someone I'm afraid to help, who is someone is, who is dangerous to help, who is discouraged, who might cost me money, who needs tender loving care, who feels defeated, and who is someone I am able to help. Freedom to a new love for all. And I don't think, as I read over that list, I don't think there's many people that that leaves out. Because of what Jesus has done and because of the freedom that he's wanting us to walk in, there is a freedom as the new people of God. There is a freedom to a new love for all. There's also a freedom to, there's no better way to word this, new constraints to love or new resurrected life. Let me read a few verses um, from Second Corinthians chapter 5. Again, one of the, probably one of my most favorite um, parts of Paul's writing. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And here's this new constraint to love that I'm trying to communicate. For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that he died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. All those barriers, every, all those old ways of viewing people, all of those, uh, whatever our background, whatever our tradition, whatever our culture, all of those old ways of looking at people, we no longer do that. We no longer regard, we now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are new. We are new. Our status has changed. Our status has changed. The old is gone, the new has come. We are new creation. We no longer, how we see people is new. We no longer look at them the way that we used to because we are aware that we have been entrusted. Our status has changed. We are now ambassadors. We are now those entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Our status has changed. He now lives in us. That is, that is new. And it is good news. He now lives in us. Father and Son come make their, make their home in us. We are new. We are seated with him. Again, in Paul's writing in Colossians, I think it's chapter 3, he says that's, that's where you're now seated. You're seated with him in heavenly places. We are made new. We are made new. Status has changed. He lives in us. We are seated with him. And as I am amazed whenever I read this verse, I'm amazed when I read this portion of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and as we touched on a wee bit, as we talked about the little boy with his two loaves and five fish, we are participating. We have been invited into the participation of, in his work of restoration, in his work of reconciling all things. We are new, and we are continually being made new. See, we live in the tension, uh, we've used this language before, we live in the, the tension of the kingdom now and not yet. When Jesus came, he inaugurated this kingdom message. He came to say that the kingdom is among you, the kingdom is near. But we're also aware, we're also aware that it's not yet. We're still waiting for the day when it will be, when, when, when it will be consummated, when the king will, the king will return. And um, we are continually being made new. We are new, but we are continually being made new. And we, have, we are joining in. We are joining in the process of all things becoming new. And I, and I love that we can, go, we can go to John the Revelator. We can go to his revelation in, at, the end of, uh, at the end of his writing, Revelation 21, 22, and reminded of the picture that he paints for us 
the remind us, that confirm to us that there is a process. All things are being made new and it's going to climax when the, when the heavens, the new heavens and the new earth descend. It's not going to be this, this earth. It's not going to be burnt up. It's not going to be thrown in the trash. It's going to be made new. The new heavens and the new earth are coming here. We're going nowhere. The new heavens and the new earth are coming here. All things are being made new. And I love actually, right, it's, it's the last chapter in chapter 22. Uh, again, Paul's vision of what it's going to be like is, is will be in the garden. It's back to the garden and he, and he pictures, he gives us the picture of will be in this place and the tree of life will be in one side and the tree of life in the other. It brings us back to that place of the garden. And for me, why I think that is, why I feel like that is important. And Stuart, he spoke last week and he was, did a great job and he, he brought us to the mission. He brought us to the great commission, Matthew 28 and Matthew 13. But I want to say to you that, we, that that's, not the, that's not our first mission. That was not the first time that the mission of God was talked about. The mission of God was talked about right back in the beginning. The mission of God is found, first of all, in Genesis chapter 1. It's not simply waiting until uh, Jesus goes back to heaven that we then pick up the mission of God. The mission of God is that, that in, we see it in Genesis, 1 and chap, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We get an insight of what God wanted for humanity. And so the coming of Jesus was to restore that original mandate, that original mission, the the. the, the the coming of Jesus was to come to restore that original design, to make all things new. That's what, he, that's what he has been doing. That's what he continues to do. The Father continues to work. And he's invited us into that process of restoration, that process of, of uh, entrusting us with a message of reconciliation to go and bring restoration, to go and bring reconciliation, to go and be a part of making all things new. Again, to go back and touch on Paul's word for the church, the ecclesia, that denotes talking about an assembly of people who are charged to look after the commonwealth, charged to look after the common good. And again, if you haven't heard it enough times for Paul, I'm convinced the church was not meant to be a body of people concerned only with their own fellowship. The body of people, the church was not meant to be a body of people concerned only with their own fellowship. The church was never to extract itself. See, we serve one who incarnational, who took on flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt among people. And so the church was never to extract itself from the cares of the larger community to form this holy huddle. It's the opposite of incarnation, to extract ourselves into, uh, away from the larger community, to form a holy huddle is not what it is to be the church. It's not what Paul talked about anyway. It's not what Paul talked about when he was using this language of ecclesia. The church, the ecclesia, the assembly of the people of God at the gate, at the entrance point of the community, at the place where decisions were made, that's what, that's what the gate represents, where decisions were made, where, this, where, the, where, there, was, where there was influence. That's where, the ch that's where the church was, part of making those decisions, part of bringing life. And that's what it is to be the church, to be at the gate, to give itself, to give itself for the life and the flourishing of the community. 
that we would give ourselves for the life and the flourishing of the community. And I don't have time to talk about it today, but Proverbs chapter three talks about when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. And when the righteous prosper, I don't know what, how you view that verse, but I've been thinking about that. It's the, the Hebrew word for the righteous is Sadiqim. And the Sadiqim are not a people who, are, who have the moral high ground. They're not a people who have got it all worked out, necessarily have it all together. But there are people who are doing what I'm saying here. The people who have, are, give themselves for the life and the flourishing of the community. That's who the righteous are. The people of God, it's, it, it, it feels a wee bit like an ecclesia word. It's a, it's a people called out. It's a set apart people for that are given themselves, that are laying down their lives, that are sacrificially laying themselves down for the life and the flourishing of the community. Jesus' work, his, this new freedom that he came to bring, this grace and love and mercy that he just continually demonstrated over and over again, these barriers that he came to break down. See, Jesus' work is not exclusively about our individual salvation. Jesus' work is not about our individual salvation so that we can go to heaven when we die. That's not what the work of Jesus was about. It's a part of it. But the work of Jesus was, about, was also about the renewal of all things. Seeing all things being made new. And Jesus said in, in John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is really important for us because that, Paul has taken a hold of that. He's taken a hold of that fact that, that his, his work is now ours. He has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation with this message of restoration, with this message of making all things new. He is making his appeal through us, Paul is saying. He is making his appeal through us. And so just for these last couple of moments, I just want to set us up for where I really want us to go over the next number of weeks. And again, to, to read. We have tended to downplay the vital part that God has set for humanity in the redemption of the world. We have tended to make a formula of all of God and we are nothing. Not only is this questionable theologically, but it has not necessarily brought God any glory. In actual fact, it, actu it might actually have served to diminish the sheer value of the investment that he has made in human freedom and the preciousness of his image that he has placed in the human being. We partner with God in the redemption of the world. This is not just an issue of theology or spirituality. We need to grasp the fact that in God's economy, our actions do have eternal impact. We do extend the kingdom of God in daily affairs and activities and actions done in the name of Jesus. 
We live in an unredeemed world, but out of each human life that is given over to God and committed to his creation, a seed of redemption falls into the world and the harvest is God's. Second Corinthians 5, back there for one more moment. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and give us the ministry of reconciliation. And this, the Greek word for this, for this word ministry here is diakonia. Any Greek speakers in the room, forgive me. But it's talking about every business, talking about every vocation, about every calling, every passion. So far as it labors, as its labors benefit others, it is a ministry or it is a diaconia. And so as part of what are the, for me as I've thought about this this week, the consequences of um, being involved in all things being made new inevitably means it has a consequence on our nine to five, on our everyday lives. And so next week, Neville is, Neville is going to share some stuff around vocation, around our jobs, our workplaces. And then the week after that, uh, the week after that is Adoption Sunday. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk a wee bit about, about that. And then a couple of weeks after that, we're going to continue on in this, this, uh, this idea of how we better steward our vocations, our jobs, the places that we work. And I'm, I'm trying to be really cautious I, because I fall into the same category. I think the church has done a disservice to people who are out uh, working nine to five jobs. The role of the church was to equip and release and empower people, to empower people in their vocations, in their nine to five jobs, and to reveal, to reveal the character of God and how they treat their employees, to reveal the goodness of God and how they treat the earth, to reveal the, the nature of God and in, in, in their, their, their conduct among their staff and all of that sort of stuff. And so I, I really want us to, to think about that really well over the next few weeks. We're going to get some people to help us do that. God does not plan to send the planet to the trash heap. His plan is to redeem it and to renew it. And so the writer of this book goes on to say the afterlife is not disembodied. Not disembodied. We're going to have new, new bodies. So salvation is not spiritual only. And so the writer goes on to say because we are called and invited to jo join God's uh, restoration work now and our, particip our participation in that will last she says, in short, our work matters. She quotes Paul from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, that, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.
because of Jesus' resurrection, our work is not in vain. It won't be thrown out at the consummation. God's restoration work extends as far as the curse is found. He is renewing and reconciling all things under his headship. God's high charge to humankind is to serve as co-agents over creation. And that was not taken away after the fall. It remains our destiny in the new heavens and the new earth. And so those, those that work, those the work faithful, Christ followers, what you do in the present, whether that involves art or business or writing or nursing or engineering or urban planning or any of the other myriad of professions, it lasts into God's future. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a bit about that. I just love the idea as I continue to ponder on this idea of all things being made new, as being co-regents, co co-agents with God. The things that we do in our nine to five become incredibly important. They're not going to be destroyed at the end. They're not going to be thrown out on the, on the, on the trash. And so that's what we're going to do next week and a few weeks after. So we are new. We are continually being made new. And he has invited us into the process of all things becoming new. So Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've entrusted to us. God, we acknowledge we acknowledge the things that we said that it is all about you and we are nothing. And But God, we, we still want to wrestle with that. God, I want to challenge us that we would, we would wrestle with that because many ways that has not brought any glory. At times it has diminished the, the, the value that you have placed on us, the level of freedom that you have entrusted to us to be your agents of reconciliation. So Father, I just pray that you would help us as we continue to wrestle what it is to be, uh, to be ones who have been made new, created to be those that are, that whose image um, is being restored, to that original design, that original image being made new, being, being restored in each one of us. So Father, I pray that you, would, that you would help us. Pray you would help us just to reflect your nature really well as those that have been entrusted with something, entrusted with a message. God, I pray that there would be a freedom from any social boundaries that would distract us from bringing the message of restoration and renewal to um, to people that we encounter this week. And Father, I pray that we would be reminded again that you've so entrusted us with this message that it's as if you were making your appeal through us. That appeal be reconciled to God. Be part of this restoration project that Jesus came in to establish and to complete. So we thank you, God. I thank you for a new creation in this room. Thank you for the old self that you're continuing to, to, to mold and to chip away at.
So encourage us as we go today. God, I pray as we as we go from this place that we we would we take inspiration from the little boy and the gospel story of of living open handedly. God, we would live open handedly. God, we live hearts open, eyes open, minds open. Increase our awareness in Jesus' name. Amen.